Welcome to another episode of Too Close to Home, the series where we dig up creepy stories, haunted places and mysteries from our very own Patreon's hometowns. This episode we're looking at Martin, Peppy, Simon, Louis and Emmett. And do we have some good stories in store for you five? Remember everyone, if you want us to dig up stories from your area, head on over to Patreon and join our Too Close to Home tier. Not only will we cover your hometown, you'll also get access to all of our Patreon-exclusive documentaries. Thank you everyone for supporting us. And now, hit those lights, sit back, and enjoy. Colchester, Essex Colchester is a town in Essex, England, and is said to be the oldest recorded town in Britain, after it was mentioned by Roman author and philosopher Pliny the Elder in his book The Natural History, the largest single work to have survived from the Roman Empire. But more importantly to us is the hometown of our value patron Martin, and for you Martin, we're going to start with the 2004 Colchester murders. On the 29th of March 2014, 33-year-old James Atfield was stabbed to death in Colchester, Essex. Three months later, on the 17th of June, Nahid Almania, a 31-year-old Saudi student of the University of Essex, was also stabbed and killed. The ferocity of the attacks on both victims shocked the most experienced officers, and initially they believed they were looking at two separate murders, and it didn't cross their mind that a child might be responsible. Soon after the second murder, police started interviewing 70 local people who had previous convictions for knife offences. One of them was 15-year-old Colchester Academy pupil James Fairweather. He interviewed voluntarily with his mother by his side and told police he had been at home at the time of the murders. Police believed him and no further action was taken. For almost a year, police were no further forward with the investigation. Then on the 27th of May 2017, a female dog walker spotted a pensive looking boy standing alone on a footbridge near to where the second victim had been stabbed. She felt he was acting suspiciously and felt intimidated by him, so much so that she contacted the police. The boy was James Fairweather. After being questioned by the officer, James, who was wearing rubber-tipped gloves, admitted he had a knife in his pocket and he was arrested shortly after and later charged with the double murders. Psychiatric analysis revealed James was deeply troubled and claimed to hear voices telling him to kill. He also had an unhealthy obsession with serial killers. In court, Fairweather pled not guilty of murder on the grounds of diminished responsibility. However, the judge pointed out these were not impulsive killings. Fairweather went out prepared and planning to kill. He selected his victims and then deliberately left barely any trace of evidence. It was clear he had no plans to stop. On the day he was apprehended, he was looking for his next victim, and it's fair to say his intention was to become a serial killer. On the 22nd of April 2016, Fairweather, at the age of just 17, was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment to serve a minimum of 27 years. From murderers, we'll head to ghosts now, and Colchester appears to be overrun with them. For Martin, we'll look at two locations where they make their presence felt. First, the Fox and Fiddler pub. The Fox and Fiddler pub in Colchester is home to a very cheeky ghost. Her name is Sarah, a former chambermaid who died in the 1640s. Sarah met her death at the hands of the most feared man of all at the time, the witchfinder General Matthew Hopkins. 
He found Sarah hiding in the cellar beneath the pub and dragged her out kicking and screaming. He then chained her to a wall and bricked her up alive. Ever since that fateful day, Sarah has reputedly haunted the building and has been seen on several occasions by both staff and punters. She is said to have long blonde hair, a lace cap, white pinafore, and a black dress. In life, her room was in the attic, and that area is particularly active. The present owners of the pub have a good relationship with Sarah, but if anyone she doesn't know is left in charge, she makes her presence felt by distracting staff, by creating a tapping sound, and when their backs are turned, smashes glasses that are left behind the bar. Next up, Colchester Castle. Colchester Castle is a haunted stronghold steeped in mystery and untold terrors. Long before Colchester Castle was built, the foundation on which it stands was a temple dedicated to Claudius, a defied emperor of Rome in 60 CE. Then, a thousand years later, in 1101, William the Conqueror used the site to build what is now Colchester Castle. Over the centuries, the building has served many different purposes and has been the site of many a death so it's no surprise it is haunted by the tortured souls of its past. One poor victim was James Parnell, a devout Quaker, who served his god with every ounce of his being. However, back in 1656, Parnell got caught in a commotion that broke out in Congleshell Church whilst he was praying, and he was wrongfully arrested and charged with blasphemy. To keep himself out of jail, Parnell was ordered to pay a fine, but he refused to pay it, saying he was an innocent man. As punishment, he was sent to serve his sentence in the notorious dungeons of Colchester Castle. Parnell was tortured by the jailers, and if he wanted to eat, he had to climb a rope. As he got within a few feet of his meal, he fell and plummeted to the stone floor below, sustaining fatal injuries. Poor James was not afforded a proper burial, and his restless soul is said to haunt the dungeon, with visitors frequently reporting an unearthly moaning sound coming from the dark recesses of the dungeon. Parnell has also been seen wandering the castle, reaching out to people and begging for food, as well as mercy, something that still eludes him even centuries after his death. Throughout the history of Great Britain, a fear of witches has ever been present, and in the past, when the word witch was mentioned, it could lead to arrest, torture, and likely a horrible death. And during the Civil War, Matthew Hopkins, the dreaded witchfinder general, took up the call to relentlessly hunt down witches wherever they may lurk. When he found one, he very often took them to Colchester Castle, where he would subject them to unimaginable torture to get a confession. Many of these poor innocent victims died from their injuries, or malnutrition, and their battered and bruised apparitions still haunt the castle to this day. They have been witnessed lurking in the shadowy corners of the dungeon, and seen walking the halls and grounds of the castle. We'd love to know if you've ever been to the castle, Martin, and if so, did you experience anything strange? McKinney, Texas. McKinney is a city in Collin County, Texas. It's a hotspot for tourists from around the world due to its historic downtown cultural district, known as one of the best, most authentic places in Texas. It is also the hometown of our patron, Pepe. For Pepe, we'll first look at a quadruple murder case. It occurred on March 12, 2004, when Eddie Williams, Javier Cortez, and Roal Cortez entered the home of Rosa Barbosa, a clerk at a local McKinney check cashing business. Cortez believed that Rosa was pilfering cash from the business. However, after a search of the house, they found no cash 
and so they forced Rosa to give them the key and alarm code to the business, before one of the men shot and killed Rosa. Unbeknownst to the three men, Rosa's nephew Mark and his friends, Matt and Austin, had entered the property. When they realized, the three burglars forced Mark and his friends into a bedroom, where they shot them all before fleeing the scene. The four victims were discovered by Mark's brother. Matt was still alive and was rushed to hospital, but he died the following day. The case went unsolved for many years, until McKinney police eventually matched DNA evidence to Raul Cortez. They also got a breakthrough when Eddie Williams' girlfriend caught the police and told them that her boyfriend was involved in the murders. The pair then voluntarily went to the police in 2007. All three were arrested and charged. Williams pled guilty to three counts of murder in 2010 and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Raul Cortez was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death and Javier Cortez was sentenced to four years for federal weapons charges. Raul Cortez appealed his death sentence, but it was rejected. As of 2022, a day is still yet to be set for his execution. Buckner Cemetery The Buckner Cemetery is said to be haunted by the ghost of Chief Spotted Tail, a Kiowa chief who once led a 200-member tribe that watched over Fort Buckner and McKinney. He was somewhat a hero amongst the locals, and in the 1870s, volunteered to bury people who died during the smallpox epidemic. However, unfortunately, the chief caught the disease himself, and his dying wish was to be given a white man's burial. Back then, this was not allowed. Instead, a tree was planted in his honor in the cemetery, and the chief was buried in an unmarked grave. The site is now where Third Monday McKinney Trade Days are held in the oldest and largest monthly trade days in North Texas. Its owner claimed that shortly after he purchased the property in the 1990s, an Oklahoma area Kiowa chief came to visit and told him it was holy ground. And over the years, there have been multiple reported sightings of a Native American man standing in and around the cemetery who disappears before anyone gets too close. Could it be the spirit of Chief Spotted Tail? Lastly, we'll take a trip to Old Collin County Prison. The prison was built in 1880, and at its height, could house as many as 50 inmates. The last man to hang there was William Azell Stepp, in 1922, who was executed for murdering Hardy Mills. However, there was doubt over the conviction, and Stepp protested his innocence until the day he died. Nowadays, the first two floors of the old prison are offices, but empty cells remain on the third floor, and those working in the offices below have reported the sounds of keys jingling and chairs rolling across the floors, believed to be steps and bittered ghost. Paranormal investigators who have explored the building captured an audio recording they believe to be a former prisoner saying, show me where I killed her, show me where I hid her. The voice is believed to be the spirit of a former prisoner who like Step, was wrongfully convicted for a crime he didn't commit. Peppy, have you ever visited any of these places? And if so, what was your experience at them? We'd love to hear from you. Frederikshaven, Denmark. Frederikshaven, which we're probably pronouncing incorrectly, which we apologize for, Simon, is a Danish town on the northeast coast of the Jutland Peninsula. It is well known for its fishing harbors and naval links. It also boasts some beautiful beaches and countryside and our patron Simon is lucky enough to live there. To be honest, Simon, we struggled to find anything not to like about the place, so we had to move a few miles away. 
We'll start with a particularly nasty serial killer called Peter London. Peter London was born in Denmark on February 15, 1972. He later changed his name more than once and is now known as Thomas Christian Olesen. However, changing his name has not hidden the fact that he is Denmark's most horrifying and most talked about serial killer. London's early life was chaotic and he spent most of his childhood in America. And as a teenager, he started taking and selling drugs. He had a volatile relationship with his mother and during a drunken fight about cutting her son's long hair, 19-year-old Peter strangled his mother. He and his father then buried her body on the beach at Cape Hatteras. Later, her body washed ashore and Peter and his father, who had fled to Canada, were arrested. Peter was sentenced to 20 years for the murder and his father for two years. In 1999, after serving less than half his sentence, Peter was sent back to Denmark, where he lived with his wife, who he had married whilst in prison. The marriage didn't last and Peter moved on with Marianne Pedersen and her two sons, Dennis and Brian. On July 3rd, 2000, Pedersen and her sons were declared missing by her older stepson after he entered her home and found it disarray with a strange smell in the basement. A police investigation at the house revealed bloodstains throughout the house, most significantly on a chopping board and a blender in the kitchen. On July 5th, 2000, London was arrested and charged with murder. Further studies of the house led to the conclusion that Pedersen and her two sons had been killed and dismembered. Police technicians were able to conclude that London had used an angle grinder and an axe to cut up the remains. On October 10th, 2000, London confessed to killing them, saying he chopped up their bodies and put the parts in plastic bags and left them outside in the trash. Some of the Samler body parts he put in Marianne's Ford Mondeo and placed in various waste containers. Despite extensive searches of refuge sites, the body parts of Pedersen and her two sons have never been recovered. Peter London was sentenced on March 15, 2001 to life imprisonment and is currently incarcerated at the Institute of Hersted Vesta. From serial killers, we move on to ghosts. Denmark is known for its castles and we'll look at the one closest to Simon's hometown, Voyagard Slot. Voyagard Castle is a beautiful Renaissance castle in North Jutland. Today it houses an impressive art collection, as well as furniture belonging to both Louis XIV and Louis XVI. However, it has a dark history and is thought to be haunted by one of its former owners. Ingborg Skiel was a merciless nobleman who inherited the property from her father, Karen Crabbe, who was given the castle in 1578 by King Frederick II in exchange for Nygaard. Ingborg managed the estate herself and was accused of various evil deeds, including being a witch who had made a pact with the devil. One of the first things she did after taking over the castle was to have architect Philip Brandon killed by throwing him into the moat and letting him drown to ensure he could never build another castle like Voyagard. In addition to killing poor Philip, she was also charged with continual cruelty and greed. She was so feared that after her death, a priest was called in to perform an exorcism to lay her spirit to rest in a nearby marsh. However, it seemed it didn't work, and ever since, strange things have gone on in the castle from moans and groans being heard when no one is around, to doors slamming and candles being blown out by an unseen force. In addition to the ghosts of Ingborg, beneath the castle is a notorious dungeon that has no light, ventilation or room to stand, likely used as a punishment cell back in the day, 
as well as the dungeon, there is a mysterious stain on the floor in the northeast tower, which is said to be blood from someone killed on that spot. Over the years, it was largely forgotten, however, during renovations at the castle in 1997, the stain was rediscovered, and no matter how much the floor was sanded, the stain kept reappearing after a few days. If that wasn't enough, displayed within the castle is the skin of a wild boar, brought down in the castle grounds during the 18th century. As the wild boar was brought down on the border between Voyogard and Hunsland, a minor feud arose, resulting in a sharing of the spoils. Voyogard got the skin, and Hunsland got the rest. According to legend, the wild boar skin must never be moved from Voyogard Castle. If it is, the entire building will come crashing down. We'd love to know, Simon, if you've ever visited the castle. And if so, did you have any experiences there? Macomb Township, Michigan. Macomb Township is within Metro Detroit in Macomb County and is the most populated civil township in Michigan. It's recognized as a leader in business and industry and also happens to be the hometown of our much valued patron, Louis. For you, Louis, we will first look at the despicable Arthur Ream. In 2019, residents in Macomb would have been aware of significant police presence in a secluded wooded area near the Clinton River. The site was where vile convicted killer Arthur Ream had buried 13-year-old Cindy Sarziki in 1982. Ream began his reign of terror in the mid-1970s when he and his teenage brother-in-law abducted and assaulted a 15-year-old hitchhiker. At the time, he allegedly chillingly told his brother-in-law, if I ever do this again, I'll kill the next victim. Ream was later convicted and sentenced to five to ten years in prison, which he began serving in August 1975. He was released in early 1978. Ream carried on his abuse of young girls and was sentenced to another ten years, but as he was due to be released from that sentence, he was arrested for the murder of Cindy. That is when Ream led police to the wooded area in Macomb, where her remains were found. However, this was no fit of remorse. He only offered to help to get his charge reduced from first-degree murder to second-degree, something that was thankfully rejected, and he was given a mandatory life sentence without parole. Nothing was found during the 2019 excavation, but investigators remain convinced Reem is responsible for at least four to six murders, whose ages range between 12 and 17, who disappeared between 1970 and 1982. Reem has always denied being a serial killer, and even demanded an apology from the police for even suggesting it, obviously something that was declined. In fact, he was so angry that he even toyed with the idea of drawing phony maps to send them on a wild goose chase. A truly despicable individual. Next up we have Luke the Spook. Luke the Spook is the name given to the ghost that haunts a bridge on Romeo Plank Road in Clinton Township. Those who have witnessed the apparition tell of a bright, unexplained light seen on the bridge. Legend tells that Dr. Lucas, who in the late 1800s was traveling along the road in his horse-drawn buggy after a late-night call to a patient, when his horse missed the bridge, hit the sides, and tipped the doctor out, killing him instantly. The light that is seen is said to be from the buggy carrying the ill-fated doctor past the site of his death, forever bitter at his untimely demise. Other witnesses claim they've seen an old horse and buggy silently moving through the trees. Lastly, we'll take a look at Macomb County Graveyard. 
In Macomb County, Clinton Township is the Cadillac Memorial Gardens East Cemetery. Founded in 1929, the cemetery features a beautiful landscape and a peaceful location to remember those who have passed. However, it has had its fair share of drama. Back in the 1980s, an inmate escaped from a local mental institution and headed to the cemetery, where he smashed the windows of the main office. Once inside, he completely trashed the place before using the broken glass to slit his wrists and neck. The next morning, when staff members arrived, they found the poor man still alive, muttering to himself, wrapped in a blanket. Then, in the 1990s, a man became extremely distraught over the death of both his parents. He went to their gravesite in the Summit Hill Garden section, and he shot himself in the head. Authorities found him on top of his parents, and to this day, staff and visitors have claimed to see a male apparition lingering at the site. Moving on to the 2000s, and a cemetery sales manager got the fright of his life when he claims to have seen the ghost of a Native American walking through the wall of his office. He abruptly quit his job, never to return. Another tale says that a police officer shot and killed a teenager who was trespassing on the grounds after hours. The grief and guilt overwhelmed him so much that he went insane. One night, he dressed himself in camouflage, painted his face and went to the cemetery where he proceeded to dig up the boy's body. Perhaps all the drama at the cemetery is responsible for visitors feeling they are being watched when they visit the graves and several have reported hearing screams and whispers emanating from all corners of the cemetery. What do you think of these places in your area, Louis? Stockton, California. Stockton is a city in San Joaquin County, situated in the heart of California. It was founded in 1849 by Carlos Maria Weber and was named after Navy Commodore Robert F. Stockton and was the first community in California to have a name not of Spanish or Native American origin. It is also the hometown of Emmett Tapia, one of our value patrons. First Emmett, we're going to look at the strange case of the Stockton arsonist. On August 15, 1989, an overheated car pulled to the side of the road in Stockton. The driver inspected the damage while his wife and son looked on. He decided that he and his son should walk to the nearest phone to get help. As they walked, they noticed a camouflage jacket on the side of the road. Curious, the man picked it up, and in the pocket was an unlabeled videotape. Curious as to what was on the tape, they decided to leave the jacket but take the videotape home. Later on they watched it and were shocked to see it was a house fire. They immediately turned the tape over to the police to investigate, and they were convinced the person holding the camera was the same person who set the house on fire, as voices could be heard saying, I told you I'd do it, Omar. The investigation led them back to the jacket that was still on the side of the road in Stockton. In the other pockets, they found a wooden pestle, the kind used to grind herbs for satanic rituals. Nearby, they found a glove that matched the jacket and a ceramic skull, things that suggested some sort of ritual. The investigation focused on finding out where the house was, as they feared an arsonist was at large. The video of the house burning was circulating to news outlets, and several viewers called in to identify the house. It was located in Redwood City, California, 80 miles west of Stockton. The house that was destroyed was under construction at the time. Today, it has been rebuilt. After working with the fire department, who put out the blaze, they were able to narrow the suspects down to two young men, a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old, 
Both suspects were interviewed, and the 19-year-old admitted to burning the house, taking the video, and was the one who talked on the videotape. Both suspects were underage when they set the fire and were tried as minors. One served time in juvenile hall, the other was committed to a state mental hospital. From the strange case of the Stockton arsonist, we move on to the haunted Hotel Stockton. Built in 1910, this elegant building is located near the regal Stockton City Centre Cinema, and over the years, it has had various uses from a city hall to a courthouse to the present-day hotel. With such a varied history, it's no surprise that the place is allegedly haunted by not one, but three spirits. The first is the white suit smoker, a man who manifests in the back area by the stairs. He is usually seen sat on a wooden stool smoking a cigarette. But as soon as he is approached, he disappears and takes his stool with him, leaving just a cool breeze and the smell of tobacco. However, he is no friendly old man. He has been known to attack people and has been seen with blood dripping from his fingers. Next is the ghostly pianist, who makes his presence felt on the sixth floor. Those who have stayed in the rooms on that floor have reported clearly hearing the sound of piano music coming from the ballroom, but further investigation reveals no one is there. A medium who visited the hotel claimed that she made contact with the spirit on the stairs leading to the ballroom. According to her, the spirit is a young pianist who fell in love with one of the guests who frequented the hotel, who he later found out was married. However, before he could flee, her husband caught up with him and stabbed him to death. His mournful spirit still tinkles the ivories, hoping for a reconciliation with his true love in death. Lastly is the wandering ghost on the fourth floor, said to be the spirit of a man who was killed in one of the rooms in the 1960s. No one knows why he was shot, but rumor has it that he swindled money from the hotel's owners. Angered by his untimely death, he continues to roam the floor he died on. He is not particularly friendly either, and has been known to lash out if you try to interact with him. A local physic who tried communicating with him was scratched badly on the face. We'd love to know, Emmett, if you've ever stayed at this hotel, as if we ever head to your location, we'll definitely take a stop here. So that's it for this episode of Too Close to Home. We'd like to say a massive thank you to Martin, Peppy, Simon, Louis, and Emmett. Remember everyone, if you would like your hometown featured on an episode of Too Close to Home, then head over to Patreon for more information. Thank you again to all the patrons who support the work we do, and as always, we'll see you in the next video.